Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. Will you pray with me? Lord, we have come here to worship, to gather as a community of faith, and to honor you, uh, our Father, with our presence. Or may the songs that we sing, may the meditations of our hearts, and may the words of our lips be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. And for that we love you and give you thanks. Amen. Well, last night was a lot of fun. Thank you for everybody who made that possible. It was kind of the all-American uh, get-together. We had fishing at the pond, softball, um, songs, hot dogs. I think the only thing we were lacking was pyrotechnics, unless that happened after I left. So, um, you know, something to add into next time. Um, <laughs> well, in between uh, Father's Day of 2017 and Father's Day of 2018, uh, men have had a fairly rough year. Uh, I, I'm not looking for any sympathy for my gender. It's simply to uh, acknowledge the headlines of the last 12 months. Uh, it's been an unprecedented moment in history, really, as the, between this relationship of men and women, uh, a year of revelations of sexual harassments and discriminations that Women have suffered for years now, but uh, are, are just many of them only coming to light just now. In October of 2017, Alyssa Milano, the actress, uh, encouraged women who had been sexually harassed or assaulted to use the hashtag MeToo uh, in their posts and to, uh, to, to have, find the courage, find the bravery to come out and, and say Me Too. Uh, that they had also experienced these uh, kind of harassments and discriminations that uh, their other women had been experiencing. Uh, within 24 hours, that hashtag had been posted about 4 million times on Facebook. And uh, very quickly, um, the movement spread beyond simply posting hashtag MeToo to women finding the courage and the boldness to come forward and share their stories, share what had happened to them. Uh, and to even name their abusers. So the Me Too movement gave women the courage and the platform uh, to bring to light some past and some ongoing abuses and discriminations and unwanted advances. Uh, indeed, uh, ABC News and the Washington Post found that about 54% of American women reported unwanted and inappropriate sexual advances. Um, so it's a, it's a crisis, uh, no doubt. Um, and, it, and it's a, a dark cloud that's really been set over this year. 
for men. The Harvey Weinstein and the Bill Cosby cases might be some of the most notable uh, and most egregious cases to come to light. But accusations are coming from all sorts of women against all sorts of men, uh, men who are, are, um, will never make it into the news, but also senators and, and actors and athletes, and, and recently against um, the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, um, which is my own former seminary, uh, Paige Patterson. Uh, I have no love for Paige Patterson at, or the Southern Baptist Convention. I know longer identify as a Southern Baptist, um, and so I, I don't have a lot of love for them. But the example is simply to show that the mistreatment of women uh, has happened really at every level of society, in every sector of society. And it would be nice to think that the church was immune from that kind of thing. It'd be nice to think that uh, a Southern Baptist seminary, uh, th th that kind of thing wouldn't happen there. And yet it does. It, it happens at every level of society and, and in every, uh, there, there's no corner of society that's free from uh, this kind of thing. So I don't know how we can talk honestly and sincerely about fatherhood in the year 2018 without this backdrop of the Me Too revelations. Uh, I wish that we could take this morning and celebrate fatherhood. I was glad that uh, Caitlin had us for a moment there in the prayer time to just sort of remember the, the good father figures in our lives and, and all of the, the wonderful memories we have with dad uh, in our own lives. And I wish that today we could really cheer uh, Father's Day, that we could uh, pay tribute to the men who have been fathers to us or have been like fathers to us, who have mentored, protected, advised, helped, nourished us. I wish that we could pat men on the back and say, job well done, guys. Uh, and maybe we'll be able to do that next year. But it's 2018. Um, uh, for that matter, I, I wish I didn't have to worry about my 15-year-old daughter whom you, uh, you got to meet last night. Um, I wish I didn't ha have to worry about what might happen to her away at camp or on a date or in a workplace setting. I wish I could tell women, you know, you can wear whatever you want. You can go wherever you like alone and no one is going to harass you. Nothing bad is going to happen. It's just not the world we live in. Uh, women need to protect themselves. And we need to be aware of um, things that are happening that we'd rather, rather not think about. It's not, just not the world we live in. So the word this morning for fathers, unfortunately, is not job well done. The word this morning for fathers is men do your job well. Maybe next year we'll be able to say job well done. But for now, do your job well. What is that job? It's a, in some ways, it's a fairly simple uh, title. I mean, maybe it's kind of a boring title in some ways, but, you know, fatherhood really is a complex moral choice. That's, that's what I want to, what I'd love for you to take away from this morning. Uh, if we can kind of somehow set this into our minds and imaginations and thinking. Fatherhood is a complex moral choice. The Bible is full of fathers and mothers, of course. Um, we have uh, stories in the Bibles of fathers and children, uh, mothers and children. 
Jesus tells some parables, some stories involving fathers and, and sons. Um, the book of Proverbs has some words of advice for parents in general uh, about raising children. But when we look to the New Testament specifically for, uh, for words of advice, for words of instruction towards dads as to how to be a father, how to deal with your children, uh, we don't find much. There are very few words there. And of course, uh, the Bible doesn't cover every single topic in life in detail. Uh, we get larger pictures of the moral life, of, of life as a believer, and then we apply it to specific situations. But one of those instructions that's specifically aimed at fathers and how they deal with their children from the New Testament is from Ephesians chapter 6. It's involved in what's called a, a household code. That is, it's a prescription given in Ephesians uh, for how households should operate and what relations everyone should have with each other. Um, we find it a couple of times in the New Testament, these household codes, codes about what relationships various individuals within the house should have to each other. And there's a word for fathers. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. So we're just really going to look at one verse. <clears throat> Fathers, we've got it up here, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's from the New International Versions. Other translations have it as, Fathers, don't provoke your children. Or fathers, don't make your children angry. So if you wonder, like, what, what do you mean by embitter? So other translations say, well, by embitter we mean don't make your children angry. Don't provoke them. Um, the instructions are repeated in a different form in Colossians 3.21, where we read, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Oh, forget. Yeah, we got it up there. Okay, there it is. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. That's about all there is in the New Testament, that, are, that it's a direct instruction towards men about how to father. Interestingly enough, you can look, read the New Testament for yourself. There's no, nothing more that's just a direct instruction to men about how they should behave as fathers. And what strikes me about both of these verses that are very similar to each other, from Ephesians and from Colossians, is that they both recommend what fathers not do. Here's what you don't do as a father. Don't embitter. Don't make your children angry. Don't provoke them. There's a warning here, friends. Fathers, you know, I think, I think what's underlying this, what Paul realizes as he writes this, is that, Father, we want so badly for our kids to turn out right. <laughs> we want so badly for them to have a successful life, to be a productive individual, uh, to, to have a good life, right? And so... Maybe behind this warning, this instruction of what not to do, maybe behind that, there's a recognition that fathers, we, we want to, if we don't, we won't admit it, but we want to control <laughs> the outcome of our children. In some ways, we, it'd be great if we could micromanage their every move. And we may never admit this. But that's what we'd like. If, if I could just choose every choice for my child, uh, you know, and keep them safe, keep them healthy, make them productive, man, I, I would do that. If somebody gave me that switch, you could make every choice for your child. And he'll never know about it. She'll never know about it. You can just have that little switch in your pocket, you know, and follow them around. Just, would you take it? 
Would you do it? Oh, we'd be so tempted, wouldn't we? Uh, and here are these instructions from Ephesians and Colossians. You know, watch out, dads. Don't embitter your, ch your children. Don't provoke them. Don't try to micromanage them, in other words. Maybe that would be a better translation for today. Don't try to micromanage them. Don't try to control them. Why not? Because they will only become discouraged. <laughs> it won't work out the way you think it will. Children who are provoked and embittered uh, only become discouraged. You know, it's been said that you can give your children your love, but you can't give them your thoughts. They're going to have their own thoughts. And there's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? You can give them your love. Absolutely, you should. But you're not going to be able to give them their choices, their thoughts. They're going to have their own thoughts. They're going to make their own choices. Ephesians instructs fathers instead to bring up children in the training and instruction of the Lord, uh, but not to exasperate them. Our job, in other words, is to bring them up, not tear them down. There's some kind of balance here, some kind of middle ground that we're working towards. Dads, you know, we're not going to get it right every time. We're not going to be perfect at this at all. Uh, we're going to have to learn, probably, uh, when, when to be firm with our kids and set clear boundaries. And then sometimes when to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't give the right guidance here. I was maybe too firm or too soft. Or, you know, who knows, right? How do we strike this balance in between bringing them up and not discouraging them? Bringing them up without bringing them down. Well, if anything, this, this single little verse, these two little verses here, uh, if anything, to me, uh, they're, they're like big flashing danger signs, warning signs that tell me that fatherhood is a complex moral choice. It's complex. We can deal with that part first. Fatherhood is it's a choice. It's a moral choice. But first of all, it's, it's complex. Uh, everything we've been talking about so far is indicated that, hasn't it? Men, there's so many pressures and pulls on you and, and on me. The role of father today is complex. I mean, I know because I am one. Uh, what about those pressures to provide financially for your family. Uh, every man is, uh, his identity, his self-worth is in many respects tied to that ability to provide financially for your family. Uh, men uh, often report worrying over money, worrying over finances, uh, about losing our jobs, about failing our families in that way. Uh, that's a great source of anxiety. And, and, but it doesn't really get that much better if you have job security. Even if you've got a good job, if you're making money just fine, then we begin to worry, are we working too much? <laughs> I'm providing for my family, but maybe, but maybe I've given myself too much to the job. Um, where's that balance between uh, providing for my family and then uh, kind of over extending myself at work? How much time should I devote to my job so I can provide for my family? Or how much time should I spend with my kids to help with their education, to build solid relationships with them, to make memories with them? And, and then I start to worry, you know, what kind of boundaries do I set for them? Uh, is it better to 
keep them on a fixed schedule or, or should I let them be free and figure out their own schedule? Uh, do I have a list of chores and expectations or, or do we just do a, go a little more free form and, and sort of see how it goes? Or how much should I be pushing them into sports or developing some kind of hobby or, or trade? Um, what about music lessons? And how much time should I be reading with my kids? And how often should I take them to Disney World? I don't know, the kids out here maybe could weigh in on this, uh, Disney World preferences. Um, and of course, then I need to prioritize my wife and um, other family members and friends. And what about God? What about service to the community and to the church? Um, it's complex, isn't it? And although we seek the Lord's guidance, and although we turn to Scripture, it's oftentimes hard to know because we're We've got sometimes two different goods at stake. And which do we weigh? How do we choose one good thing over another good thing? Uh, it's complex. Fatherhood today, and maybe it's always been this way, but it's, it's complex today. It's also moral. It's a moral choice. If it were natural and easy, it wouldn't be moral. You don't get moral credit for doing things that are natural and easy, like breathing or digesting food. You get moral credit for doing things that are hard and unnatural. Our character is built and proven by those hard choices that we make, those moral choices that we make when, when we do the the hard thing instead of the easy thing. That's when we know we're doing something moral. This really brings me back to that introductory topic of sexual harassment, if we can, for just a minute. Because I think it's important just to observe, as we're talking about men this morning, that when sexual harassment occurs, it's almost always men doing the harassing and the soliciting. And it's almost never women who harass or assault. Why is that? Have we ever thought to pause and just wonder, why is that the case? Why is it not 50-50? One answer might be, well, it's society. It's patriarchal, hyper-masculine society that's taught men to be the aggressor. Men are disciplined to objectify women by the images they see on billboards, by TVs, by movies, by fashion. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably true to, to an extent, but the problem, unfortunately, goes deeper than that, I hate to, to tell you, uh, that males in general and on average have a greater interest in regular sexual contact with different women in different situations. We see this pattern played out in the uh, greater animal kingdom. Uh, male elk grow enormous antlers and male peacocks grow beautiful plumage to attract female attention. Male rams uh, slam their heads together to compete for female attention. Gorillas fight and kill each other for the privilege of being the alpha male which is having access to the females. Uh, so here we need to talk not just to fathers, but, but to men, and take an opportunity to talk to men in general. Married guys, single guys, older, younger, white collar, blue collar. Men, this word is for you, it's for me, it's for us. 
we don't really do ourselves any favors by denying um, that, yeah, these, these desires, these urges, they exist. They exist in the animal kingdom. They exist in human society. We can, we can see the numbers. We can watch the statistics. We can, we can prove it scientifically. But yeah, this is, uh, this is, these are tendencies and urges and temptations we're going to have to deal with. And resist at some level. First John tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins. From 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Then I think this is where we have to be aware of ourselves. We, we need to be aware. If we say we have no sin, if we say we have no temptation, if we say that's a problem for other people but not me, that's where we deceive ourselves. And Scripture says when we deceive ourselves, we can only drift away from God's will. We only slide off from God's radar and into sin. But by God's help, by God's grace in Jesus Christ, we can make a moral choice. Not a natural one. That's what I'm trying to say. The natural choice would be to be like the gorillas and the elk and the peacock. That's the natural move. But the moral choice, the Christ-like choice, is to do different Romans 8.5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the, what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Romans is presenting us two choices here. The natural choice, the easy choice, the obvious choice is to have your mind set on fleshly desires. That's where your flesh wants to go. That's where nature wants you to lead, you, you to move. But we can choose by God's grace and through Christ to have our mind set on the Spirit and what the Spirit desires. It's a moral choice, though. Paul presents it as a choice. It's, it's not going to be forced on you. You're going to have to choose which of these paths in life you will follow. And there will be consequences with one, and there will be blessings with others. One will be easy, but the other will be hard. And that brings us to kind of the third point here. It's a choice. It's a complex moral choice. It's a choice at the end of the day. At the end of the day, being a father, doing the work of a father, fulfilling the role of a father, it's a choice. It's something men must consciously choose. The work of creating a baby, of making a baby, is fairly minimal. But the work of being a father is tremendous. It's lifelong. 
and this is where we could address this message not just to biological dads, uh, but to stepdads, to, to male mentors and father figures, uh, to coaches and teachers who, who have taken on some role, some aspect of being a father. Dads, stepdads, granddads, male mentors. You have to choose to take on that role. And by your actions, prove yourself to be a good dad. It's a choice. It means choosing to spend time with the kids, playing in the yard with them. It means choosing to help them with their homework and with meal prep and with cleanup. I mean, I, I don't mean to step on toes, but, but guys, even on Sunday morning, we've got a choice, don't we? Many choices between uh, golf and fishing and football and, and church. And every Sunday, we're going to have to make that choice. And I don't know that it gets any easier. If you've been doing it Sunday after Sunday for 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, does it get any easier to make that choice? Maybe not. We have to recommit all the time. I remember when uh, Karl Barth was once asked, this famous theologian, you know, when were you saved? You know, when were you saved? And he gave a couple of different responses to that. But one time he said, you know what? Every morning I wake up, I pray for salvation. <laughs> there, there's a humility there that... Uh, inspires me that I catch on to there that's saying, well, you know, I don't know that we've ever got it just worked out, figured out. Maybe every morning we ought to be waking up realizing, uh, you know what, Lord, I need your help every day. I, I could fail. I could fall today. And I'm going to need to lean on you, Lord, today. I'm going to need your guidance. I'm going to need to make those choices today. My dad was by no means perfect. He's, he's still alive. I shouldn't say was, but he is by no means perfect. But um, I have really vivid memories of him at church. Uh, for a time when we were small kids, he helped out uh, with kind of the kids' ministry. And uh, I remember him playing his beat-up old guitar and goofy church songs with us kids. Um, doing the puppet hands, you know, putting on little puppet shows, and I don't really remember any of the Bible lessons, if he taught a Bible lesson or not, but I do remember those, you know, he, he got involved. He showed up. Um, I distinctly remember, you know, as a, as a young boy sitting uh, in the pew uh, with my parents and looking down and watching them watch the preacher. And being absorbed in that message. And I mean, it sounds really melodramatic, I realize, and maybe a bit hokey, but uh, I can remember looking down and seeing both in my mom and my dad uh, with tears coming down their face as they, as they took in this word, as they, um, as they felt um, the word that was being preached deeply in their hearts. And, um, and that example, it was nothing he ever said or probably in intentionally did. But it set a model for me. It set an example for me. It, it, it made me, it, it maybe some subconscious level, realize that uh, you can be a man and go to church. <laughs> you can worship God and still be a man. That, that, that's a possibility. It, it probably, in some ways, um, set the ground, opened up the door for me to be doing what I do today. 
to have answered that call to the Lord. Had my dad not gone to church, had he discouraged it in some way, maybe when I felt the Lord moving on my own heart to answer a call to ministry, maybe I would have said, you know what, I don't know. That's not what a real man does. That's not what my dad did. Uh, I'm going to choose something else. But that wasn't the case. I had seen it modeled out. And saw that was, that was a possibility. That's the kind of person I want to be. Dads, we never know maybe the impact of our choices. And that's why it's so important that we make that complex moral choice every day to be a father, to do the work of a father. If for no other reason than because of the work of discipleship, so that we show our kids here's how you be and become a Christian, here's how you follow God. Here's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. This morning, men, the task is to do your job well. So that one day, we can hear the Lord say, Job well done.